Thank you for listening to the Divine Nobodies Podcast with Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobodies Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and understanding. Welcome to our tribe. And now your hosts, Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. Hello, hello, hello. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday, Jen. Happy Sunday to you. It's definitely great to be back. It's, it's been a beautiful Sunday so far. I had a wacky Saturday. Yeah. So I'm hoping to spend today just kind of grounding and tuning in. Yeah. And we're going to do that because we actually have a very special guest with us today. She uh, does many things. She's a woman of many talents. Yes, she is. Yeah. So she's a Kundalini yoga teacher. She's an Osho meditation facilitator, which you know me. I'm all about Osho. Yeah. Yeah, I'm interested to hear about that. Yeah, Mr. Rajneesh, he changed my life in so many different ways. I'm definitely interested in that. She's also a Reiki practitioner, also a sound healer. And I've heard some of her work. It's really, really beautiful, Jen. Is it? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to have to give it to you. Before you go to bed, you can go and just like tap in. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, she's also attended the International School of Temple Arts, which covered teachings of embodiment, shamanism, and sacred sexuality. Sacred sexuality, yeah. which is going to be the topic today, it's like right? Sexuality, but it's a sacred, sacred, sacred sexuality. Yeah, I guess that otherwise would be known as tantra. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, all our listeners, let's uh, welcome Sequoia Satori. How are you doing, Sequoia? Oh, I'm doing very well. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Jen, for having me. It's really a pleasure to be on your show. Yeah, thank you so much for spending the time uh, with us. Uh, we have a lot of things that we wanted to ask you. Um, what initially kind of called out to us was your practice in sacred sexuality. Now, um, if you've gone onto her Instagram, she has a lot of really amazing content, but she has a really beautiful connection with her partner. She has a lot of really amazing photos. She speaks a lot about um, just sacred partnership and how to synergize in, I guess, a intentional and meaningful way with her partner. So that's what stuck out to me. And it seems like you definitely embody that. So uh, how did you get into this work of sacred sexuality? Yeah, um, sacred sexuality for me, the path began, well, it it was a bit of an unfolding, you know, I I feel like a lot of people come into more of this um, conscious or spiritual practice through yoga. Uh, And a lot of us start out with, you know, just wanting the physical benefits of the asanas, um, you know, wanting a yoga body and just being really flexible and all of this. Um, but the the thing with yoga for me, it's, it's almost like a gateway um, spiritual practice because once you start with that, um, often it'll lead to other things, uh, other forms of meditation, other forms of, um, you know, breath work. And, and you start just becoming a lot more conscious of, of different elements in your life, how you treat your body, what you're eating, how you're spending time, um, who you're spending time with. So, uh, so Tantra was, was a, it came initially from this yoga practice, um, but really the catalyst for me uh, was experiencing sexual assault. And in the path of trying to heal that sexual assault, um, sacred sexuality and Tantra were really essentially the, the key practice for me that really helped me um, move through that and um, not only uh, not only become more empowered in, in my sexuality, but also be able to embody more of this 
sort of radiance that I, I felt like I lost in, in that experience. That's really beautiful. So as far as um, if you can kind of explain to us, I mean, because there's a whenever we hear the word Tantra, a lot of the people, a lot of the things that come up a lot for, for people, especially I think in, in more pop culture in a Western world is like the Kama Sutra. Yeah. Right. So they mm-hmm. see it as like a very sexual um uh, I guess, curriculum of, of practices and maybe positions. So can you explain what Tantra means to you? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it, like you've said, it, it has been a little bit misunderstood in the Western world. We, especially in mainstream media has, has taken um, the part that sells the most, you know, here's some different positions, you know, you can have sex for hours and a thousand orgasms. And, you know, this is, this is the content that really sells, but the practice itself, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's something that can be applied to every single part of your day-to-day life experience. Um, even something as simple as eating breakfast, you know, maybe you're, you're eating a strawberry, paying attention to the texture of the strawberry, not only in your fingers, but touching your lips, you know, what, how, what does it smell like paying attention to the texture, the, you know, the sound of it, even in your hands or when you're chewing. So really, um, awakening all of the senses in, in any kind of experience that you have, even when you're washing the dishes, something as mundane as washing the dishes, um, really being aware of the sound of the water and, and the, you know, the feelings of the water on your hands and on the dishes and, and, um, paying attention to, to those kind of things that, that can also be a tantric practice. Um, but tantra for me really is, is the umbrella. So where, you know, yoga, you have the eight limbs with the asanas and, and breath and, um, you know, practicing nonviolence and all these different things. Tantra for me is, is really the umbrella that, um, incorporates all that is, is, yoga and meditation, but also, um, energy and, and really using it as a path or it is a path that can enable enlightenment. So it's essentially, yeah, it's, it's a pathway to liberation and enlightenment. Yeah. I like it because it almost sounds like the, it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't have to be so much like a, a sexualized thing. It's, it speaks more to, I imagine like intimacy, right? Intimacy with your senses, intimacy with being completely conscious and aware of the things that you touch. And, and I guess in some ways things can have a very sensual type of feeling, just like you said, yeah. like reaching out and like touching a, a strawberry and feeling how it feels on the lips and things like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. exactly. When you think of it, all of life on earth, is is based in this um it's a very sensual energy on the planet you know yeah. when you look at nature the way a flower blooms and you know the way the delicate way in which bees you know pollinate the flowers um the way that the waves crash on the shore like there there's this very um beautiful sensual energy in in nature and in in Pachamama, Mother Earth, that um, it's, it's just at such a core foundation of, of life itself. Um, and so for us to, yeah, to, to just minimize it and minimize something like Tantra in the purely physical experience, um, we, we deprive ourselves of, of that whole spiritual experience that is um, life and, and the reason we're here. <laughs> yeah, it almost yeah. seems like uh, we can look at uh, that sexual energy as just a creative force, right? That creative force being source. And exactly. um, that sort of sexual energy is, is, I guess, what embodies creation as far as being a human, right? Because mm-hmm. that 
gives us the ability to create life. And it uh, doesn't necessarily have to be a hypersexualized thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know that's very I mean? interesting. Yeah. Although I have tried the Kama Sutra stuff. That stuff's hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, got to be really, really tapped in, I imagine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So I, I'm really curious about, um, so I follow your, your Instagram. We've been um, Instagram um, friends for quite some yeah. time. And to see the sort of journey unravel for you as far as like meeting you know, your soulmate or your partner and finding that connectivity with a divine masculine man, what is, what are some things like, how does that Tantra practice that sacred sexual sort of interaction with your partner? How does that manifest between both of you? Like, what does it mean to practice that amongst each other? Ooh, um, I almost want to have him uh, join the conversation, but to, to really provide sort of a balanced answer, but um maybe you'll get a chance to speak with him sometime. Yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I'd say the practice for us, it's really, mm, it's really about, uh, it's a, there's a lot of slowing down, a lot of um, really taking away any kind of objective in, in um, an intimate encounter and really, being fully present with each other um, and, and allowing more than anything, there's a lot more allowing of mm-hmm. ourselves to just fully surrender to the moment and, and fully surrender to any breath or movement or sound that flows through us. Um, Cause I feel like we get to a point where um, yeah, we're, we're not even two separate beings anymore. We, we really just sort of fusion into this, this one energetic field and, and, um, get completely, I almost want to say lost in the present moment, but really we're completely found in the present moment and the energy that, that starts flowing. Um, so yeah, it, um, but it's also, you know, it, it is a, it is a balance between, um, you know, not, not chasing kind of any, uh, particular, you know, energetic experience or, you know, saying, oh, well, this time this thing happened and let's try and recreate that. No, like it's, it's really about just surrendering and, you know, allowing, um, allowing whatever needs to come through to come through. Yeah. Just like being present. Yeah, absolutely. So I had a question and I was thinking about this when I was looking at your website, dating and sexual interactions have changed so much in the last, I mean, really 50 years, if you think about it. Before you were only, you know, you got married young, right out of call, right out of high school usually, and you know your husband was your first sexual encounter. And now, I the younger generations are using sex to get to know each other. So mm-hmm. now it's oftentimes sex on the first date, you know, with someone that you don't know. So what kind of what kind of damage does that do with to your body and your energetic being? It's a very good question. Um, I feel like, well, there's multiple parts to this. First and foremost, I feel like there's a serious lack of, um, there, or there's a need for a serious improvement in sexual education, but more than just the anatomy um, and what's happening to the bodies of, you know, teenagers, you know, they, they really need to actually start learning to understand, um, well, first and foremost, consent and boundaries, uh, learning what a full body yes feels like and what a full body no feels like and, and really mm-hmm. learning to navigate that. Um, so that's, that's kind of the first part because I feel like 
a lot of kids, yes, they, they are getting to know each other through sex, but they also don't necessarily know what a yes really feels like, or, you know, they might be thinking, oh, well, everyone else is doing it, or, or this is, this is just, you know, how, how I should get to know somebody and, and without really sort of honoring, um, the sacredness that, that is intimacy. Um, but then when it comes to an actual sexual encounter, um, especially for, uh, women or, um, anyone who is basically on the feminine or the receiving side of, of an experience or of an uh, intimate encounter with someone. Um, there's, there's a lot of energy that is, is absorbed uh, in, in the body, especially the womb. Um, you know, uh, if, if sperm enters the womb, like the, the genetic material I've read somewhere can, can stay in the body for, you know, decades. <laughs> so, yeah. so really every, every, every partner that, so if you identify as a woman and, um, you're, uh, you know, a hetero woman and you hook up with a hetero man and he might've had, you know, 10 other partners before that, basically the energetic trauma of all those previous 10 partners will also <laughs> then come into your space, your womb, your, your energetic field as well. And so, so you start basically carrying, um, the, the past of basically all the partners that your partner has had as well. Um, so we do need to be really mindful of who we connect with and the energy that we're allowing into our space, allowing ourselves to absorb. Um, and, and also for those that are on the masculine or the, you know, the, the giving, uh, or I say penetrating side <laughs> of, um, a sexual encounter, um, you know, they also need to be mindful of like the energy that they're carrying before, you know, before entering somebody and, and just really being mindful that it's not, um, they're not dumping any of their own, you know, anger or, you know, sadness or emotional trauma onto the other person. Like they also need to be able to release that before coming into union. Cause, cause we, we do really, um, merge a lot more than we realize it's, it's not, purely physical. There is a lot of energetic enmeshing that, that starts to happen and, and that can create a lot more, um, yeah, just a lot more unnecessary heaviness. Right. So how do you, how does one get rid of that? So if someone's had multiple sexual partners and, and is having a hard time sustaining a relationship, like what would one do to, to help that help with that? Yeah, I, I'd say, um, one of the best things to do is to um, really focus on intentional self-practice, intentional self-pleasure. Uh, focus on dating oneself for a little bit while, for a little while, and really, um, yeah, just really being conscious of whatever energy that you know, even in their own self-pleasure practice, the energy that they bring to themselves. How are they showing up for themselves? Is it, you know, is a self-pleasure practice? Um, goal oriented? Is it, is it just something, you know, seeking a quick end result, or is it a practice where it's, it's really about discovery and maintaining, um, yeah, maintaining an attitude of, of curiosity of, of one's own body and, and what brings one pleasure. Um, so I'd say the first and most important thing is, is really cultivating a strong self-pleasure practice, uh, one that's very intentional. Um, and then, uh, 
there's all kinds of different practices you can do to, to really release any kind of energetic baggage that, you know, you might've picked up from the past. Um, it can be as simple as, you know, doing a full moon ceremony and, and just writing letters to, to specific people and, and burning those letters and just letting that energy go in that way. Um, you can also do um, some types of shamanic journeying with drums and, and really um, it's called soul retrieval. So where you, you go back and you collect bits of your, your soul and your energetic field that might be left with other parties. Um, and otherwise, yeah, nothing helps more than some sage and the good shake and dance and, and just also clearing um, in that kind of way. Um, and also being in the ocean or the sea, salt water, um, you know, physically it's and energetically. Purifying, is, yeah. It's very good. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it, 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 one thing that comes up for me and what you're saying is is, is a developing a, a practice of self-love because it almost seems like kind of what Jen was saying as far as the dating community now, there's a whole lot of um, sort of ego-driven physiological, you know, mm -hmm. relationship with the senses and not so much of the spirit, not so mm -hmm. much of the source moving within. And right. I, I feel like once we are at odds with the ego in the body, which tends to sort of rush into things, it, it tends to sort of doubt and there's a, an acceleration to how it wants to move. But I feel like maybe that's the reason why people um, get into, you know, relationships so quickly that haven't yet cultivated that spiritual connectivity with another person. Um, because had they done that, had, had that, you know, self-love be practiced and your boundaries be absolutely clear, then it would almost naturally fall into almost like in, in, in Zen Buddhism, the, the flow state. Right. Or it doesn't become a question of like how immediately or how quickly you have to, you know, share intimacy with somebody. It will naturally unravel, I imagine, sort of like a flower in, mm -hmm. in its own way when it's supposed to. Mm -hmm. You know, it reminds me of this quote that that Osho and, and um, I know you um, studied a lot of his work and it comes up as, um, you know, relationships are like a flower like when you see a flower don't pick it up because if you pick it up it dies and ceases to be what you love love is about appreciation not about possession right i love that that's one of my favorite quotes yeah Such a good one mm -hmm. yeah mine too. mine too i really love that as well yeah. and that's yeah. something that you practice um a lot in your your you know your i guess your uh you know, connection with your partner. And I think that's, maybe that's the one thing that a lot of people are missing is that there's this feeling that I think that, that moves through the ego of like, I need to possess this other person, you know? Yeah, so how do you, definitely. how do you practice being more appreciative of your partner without actually possessing them or wanting to possess them? It's a, it is definitely, um, a challenge for sure. Um, I'm a Taurus as well. So I, I do have, <laughs> I mean, whether you believe in astrology or or not, but I, I do have some tendencies of, yeah, of, of just jealousy and, and wanting to also wanting to claim things as my own. Um, but through, I guess through an understanding basically that, uh, we are all born as free beings and, you know, freedom is basically our natural state. It's our birthright. Um, uh, and, and also understanding that um, if I really love somebody, um, like that Osho quote says, I, I the moment that I try to possess them, or or you know to claim them as mine, um, they they will cease to be the thing or the person that I fell in love with. So um, really 
honoring the fact that that true love honors <laughs> another person's freedom and honors um, honors that state of um, of individuality. Um, at the same time, yeah, being able to show appreciation through, you know, through gifts, um, through the five love languages, you know, really learning what each other's love languages are. I think that was one of the more helpful practices for us, but, um, yeah, uh, you know, loving touch, loving words, um, acts of kindness. Um, mm -hmm. and so really being able to, to speak to each other through the love languages, that's been a really great way for us to, um, to show appreciation for each other um, while also being very clear on our communication and um, any kind of needs that we have that come up. Um, now, this whole, um, how do I say this? Because this, this whole talk of, of um, freedom and possession, it, it is quite interesting, especially I find in, in maybe the conscious community today, because there's um, a lot of talk about open relationships as well. And I was just and about to ask about that. Yes. Yeah. I was yeah, just about yeah, to ask no, about it, that. It, you read my mind. Yeah. Right. Um, it's interesting because I, I, um, prior to, to meeting my partner Phoenix, um, I was in a, a brief relationship with someone or, well, I, I don't even know if we would call it a relationship, but I, I met someone who, who, um, wanted to be open, who was polyamorous. And I, I tried it for a very short time, but I just felt, and I understood the, the logic behind it. You know, the argument is that in, in, um, that love is, is not limited. Um, and so therefore, you know, you're able to experience love for many different people. And, um, and of course, yes, we are free, free beings. And so therefore we should be able to love as many people, um, as we want. Um, but, the problem I had with, with polyamory was that, um, or open relationships, open relating, um, is that time is limited. And so, you know, um, you're, even though you're able to maybe love many people, being able to, to get into that depth of intimacy, um, is much harder to do when, when you're not dedicating so much time to them, you know, when you're, when you're spreading your time out over, you know, multiple people, it's, it's a lot harder to go deeper into a relationship. Um, so for me, the, it, it didn't work out. I know that there are people who are able to, to have sec successful, um, open or, or polyamorous relationships. I know for me, it doesn't work. And for my partner, Phoenix, it doesn't work either. Like we're, we're both very much seeking that depth of intimacy and that depth of connection. And, you know, granted, yes, we can still feel loving feelings for other people, but actually, you know, acting on it and, you know, it's a different, it's a different can of worms. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. I, it makes me think of, I recently, and I know you're, you're friends with uh, Blue. Um, I yeah. actually heard her episode recently with Aubrey Marcus and uh, how they talked about, you know, his journey. Cause he was in an open relationship as well. Yeah. And I know yeah. that he's in a committed relationship now and they kind of discussed kind of what you're saying. And I do see it. I, in I the, haven't had the chance to listen yet. So yeah. 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 And, and, and from kind of what, what he was saying, it obviously didn't work out for him, but I do see it in the spiritual community, right? And that, that conversation comes up of, you know, God loves all. There's a universal love that isn't attached, but there seems to be a natural progression to devoting yourself to one person, right? Mm -hmm. I don't see a whole lot of open relationships where you have one person with one partner and a family with two children. And then the same thing with somebody else. It's almost like it, it stops at a certain point. 
Mm-hmm. And there's, there seems to be uh, not so much of a progression. And that's the question that comes up. And actually me and Jen were talking about it just recently because um, I met a few people recently that were exploring that. Yeah. And I had a hard time trying to differentiate between you know, how God sees that universal loving aspect, but also how that operates inside of a relationship. And for the most part, it doesn't work for most people. Yeah. I, you know? I have rarely seen it be successful. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems, and I don't have personal experience with this, but um, people that I know that have been in open relationships, um, it never ends well. <laughs> it's like when it, <laughs> when it ends, it ends really, really bad. So I don't know. I don't know that I'm a, I'm a supporter of polyamorous and open relationships. So it's not for me, certainly, but. I wonder though, maybe Sequoia, and I'm going to piece this out in my mind because I was actually contemplating this today, which is, you know, God is a om- omnip- omnipotent force, right? And mm, good he, SAT word, omnipotent. Yeah, omnipotent. <laughs> and and so it, 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 it's so expansive. It obviously stretches far beyond what our physical senses can even begin to understand. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if we're going to talk about loving in the way that source loves, that has to be sort of, I, I imagine, like perceived from outside of the body, because I feel like we're still limited to the senses. Can we really love from the from the perspective that God really loves if we decide to do a polyamorous sort of thing? It's almost like maybe there's this this natural tendency to having that needing to having only one partner because it's really only what the body can handle at once. Like you were saying, having to disperse your energy from all these different places. And at the mm-hmm. same time, I don't know that the mind or the brain is really wired to have that many yeah, relationships. Absolutely. You know? So while Man, I think one that, relationship is enough work. I can't imagine <laughs> sustaining multiple. I mean, yeah. hats off to people that can do it, shit. Because I, I see, like, well, what, what's the goal here? If it is to operate from source, then you have to be on some radical curriculum of spiritual growth and kind of, I imagine, one step ahead of everybody else. But I, I, from my experience, p- humans are still fallible human beings. And mm-hmm. none of those relationships from my experience ever are ever really like fluid, you know? Mm-hmm. It's always running into some bumps in the road. So Yeah. I, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I was finished. Uh, I absolutely agree. Um, and I feel like the discussion around um, polyamorous relationships, often it it kind of gets stuck in the first two or three chakras. You know, you, mm-hmm. it's, it actually just ends up being about being able to have sex with more Multiple than one people. person, mm-hmm. you know, at the, you know, in, in parallel time frames. Yeah. So it, 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 and it, it very rarely gets to those, um, higher chakras where, where it is, um, you know, about love or, or about connecting, um, at a soul level in this, in, you know, or even like a higher, higher consciousness, like it, it really does feel like it sort of just stays. Um, and maybe, maybe it's also a desire that stems from some sort of wounding or trauma, you know, maybe mm-hmm. there's an abandonment wound that happened early in life. And therefore it's like, oh, I need to prove that I'm desirable by having all these partners. I don't know. I'm, this is like pseudo. No, no, I, I agree <laughs> yeah, with no, there's a saying. lot of psychology that goes into it hundred percent. Like I've, I, I've known people who had a limited number of sexual experiences and later in life after having a partner for, you know, 10, 12 years, um, uh, wanted to leave their partner and go out and explore other people sexually because they didn't do it when they were younger. Right. So I've seen that happen. I've seen, um, you know, relationships where they want to explore another sex. 
Um, and you know, I've also seen relationships where they got hurt so, so bad in a previous relationship that there's a sort of fear of commitment commitment. Mm -hmm. of being hurt again. Exactly. You know what I mean? And if we're going to tap into, I guess, the way that source works, it almost seems like having to articulate and create these sort of boundaries seems like just more of ego to me. Right. Because if it was really about, you know, loving somebody without condition or without boundaries, it almost seemed like you should just go and do that without having to set such strict parameters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because yeah. I feel like yeah. the ego creates parameters, the ego creates boundaries. So if it was really true and authentic, you would just do it. And there would just be this sort of an intuitive impulse and in knowing in every moment that you do it, I guess. And what I'm trying to say is that it seemed like that whole process of trying to, you know, create the boxes for one partner and another partner to flow in Mm -hmm. just seems more like ego to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'd agree with that. I also agree. Um, Also from past experience, I know that I've been able to share more intimacy with someone with my clothes on (laughs) a lot of times than, than with my clothes off. So um, I feel like, yeah, I feel like, you know, you're, you're able to really connect on the heart and soul level, fully clothed and very intimately sometimes mm-hmm. um, more so. So after reading your bio, you have a really, really interesting um, journey. So, um, and this is something that we talk about a lot on our podcast about being in professional jobs and wanting to do other things, um, but in a spiritual sense, which is kind of what brought us to this podcast, right? Um, but it's hard. It's hard to shift those gears because you feel like, oh, I'm, I'm doing this, you know, working for this corporate company and you've spent so much time and energy there that you feel like maybe you're supposed to be there for some reason. So can you share a little bit about your history? Because I saw that yeah. you worked in, uh, worked in as a stockbroker in Paris and then moved to Berlin and you just have, and then spent some time at some ashras. So, you know, it's a big jump. Yeah. Big jumps. So yeah. tell us, tell us about that. <laughs> a lot of jumps. Um, yeah, I, so basically growing up, um, or especially in my teen years, um, well, okay. We're going to skip over some stuff, but it, it, essentially I, I was very much in my masculine and my masculine energy in my teens, you know, um, quite goal oriented and ambitious and, and really just following the prescribed model of, um, you know, you have to go to a good school and then get a good job. And then, you know, you're going to get married and have buy a house and have these kids and, and everything's going to go in this very linear path. Um, and once I actually you know, got this job as, um, it was in a stockbroking company. So I was, I was in the marketing team. Um, so not, not full on stockbroker, but just very, still a very masculine, um, environment. Uh, but once I got that job and started living this glamorous life, I, I still felt like there was something missing. I still wasn't really fully satisfied. Like I thought, you know, um, having the fancy title and living in this beautiful city and having a nice apartment and all the nice clothes and going to the right restaurants. I thought all of that would, would bring an element of, uh, fulfillment, but it didn't. And I think that happens to a lot of people. Um, you know, they reach this first peak of success and then they realize like, Oh, well, you know, this isn't quite it. Um, and so when I was, uh, 21 or 22, um, I went to India for, uh, three weeks and went to an ashram there and in that time, um, just, you know, we were getting up every day at 530 in the morning and, and, you know, doing, um, 
doing different work around the ashram, but also uh, doing yoga practice and meditation, uh, satsang, chanting. And it, in my time there, I, I had my first real moment of awakening or the first one of the first moments that I really became conscious of sort of my separation from my body and the fact that, you know, I was more than just the body and I was more than my job title and more than where I lived. And, and it was my first profound moment of awakening. Um, and so I kind of, you know, oscillated between, um, this inner realization and the outer world expectations that I had kind of projected for myself for quite a long time. Uh, and then it was finally, uh, when I was 27, um, that, yeah, a few different things happened. Um, but one of the, one of the biggest ones was that, um, I was raped by a friend of a friend at a party and that was basically a really big wake up call for me. Um, I also had a, um, a boyfriend at the time who, um, suddenly passed away and like, there was, there was just a bunch of things that happened all at once. And, and it was, um, basically, um, it encouraged me to go through a really deep, dark night of the soul. Um, mm-hmm. and I had to, yeah, I just had to introspect and question what, what legacy I wanted to leave on the earth, what impact I wanted to leave on other people. And I realized that, um, yeah, that, that working in the finance world and, um, basically spending my time making, um, rich white men, richer was not, <laughs> was not yeah. my highest calling. So, um, so I went to Berlin. Um, I started an online art gallery for a little while. I did a digital nomad thing for a little while. Um, and, uh, that wasn't quite it either. And so that's where, um, yeah, that's where the path to sacred sexuality, um, really came through. Um, I had a few experiences with plant medicines and, um, I, I was privileged enough to experience Burning Man as well, which was a really transform, like transformational experience. Um, and so it was just like a multitude of things that um, really helped me kind of realize that, um, that the path that I wanted to be on and, and the path that was most in alignment for me was, was the path of, of helping people um, get in tune with their, the sacredness of their sexuality and also um, helping them be more embodied through different, different practices, such as, you know, sound healing and energy healing and um, all these things. Yeah. So one thing that comes up for me when you tell this story is it very much has a similar vibe to the journey that Buddha went through, you know, (laughs) because he started in wealth. He came from a very, very wealthy, you know, family. He was like a prince and he saw. I I was, not a princess, <laughs> yeah, well, but uh, but uh, as far as like the where your career started, right? Like yeah, when people yeah. affiliate maybe stockbroking and things like that with wealth and money, right? Complete in contrast to everything else as far as the spiritual aspect. But I just see like that journey and realizing that that this isn't where it is. And then he goes on the outskirts mm-hmm. of the kingdom walls and he starts meeting with all these different people trying to find what the best practice is in order to reach enlightenment. And it's a really cool that you have that journey of kind of finding yourself through all these different avenues like art mm-hmm. and even some of the experiences that you went through. I'm actually curious about what is it about an ashram, especially the one that you stated, what is it, what is it about the environment in an ashram that is like conducive to um, that growth, that sort of like awakening that, that people typically experience when they're there. 
Like, what is it like being there? Yeah, it's um, it's a very good question. Um, I'd say one of the one of the most wonderful things about ashram life is the uh, the structure and the fact that you are having to be quite disciplined. You know, waking up at five in the morning. Uh, you know, engaging in your your morning meditation practice, and um, you know, you you don't have any technology. You're not on your you know, on your phones, you're really forced to be in the present moment all the time. Even when you're eating, you're eating in silence, often on the floor with your hands. Um, you know, you're not really making eye contact with other people while you're eating. You're, you're encouraged to really be present with your, your food, um, in the different yoga classes, um, or asana classes, I should say, um, you're basically just really encouraged to, um, in everything that you do, you're, you're in the present moment and there's a structure and a framework, um, to your day. So you, you don't have to think, you don't really have to plan. Like you just have to be present. That's your soul, your soul, uh, focus. So what's wonderful about that, I think is that it really does allow for, um, it does allow for moments of awakening that, um, that I think a lot of people, you know, will come to. Then again, I mean, I, I know people who have gone to do a Vipassana silent meditation. Um, it's this, you know, 10 day thing and, and, you know, they're on their third or fourth Vipassana meditation. They still haven't quite, you know, still hasn't clicked in yet. So, um, I guess everyone's path is different and the number of layers that they have to, uh, chisel through (laughs) is different. Um, But um, I appreciate the analogy with the Buddha, though. Um, My background, I, you know, grew up uh, as an only child to a single mom. She was working basically all the time. So, um, so, yeah, we definitely didn't grow up in in riches and luxury. But, um, but I think that's also what motivated me then to to aspire for, you know, for an industry that that was so that I saw as very glamorous and, um, but then that was also the catalyst for, for my whole introspection as well. Yeah. Catalyst for change. So on your website, you, um, you have a lot of different offerings that are really cool, um, that people can access. So, uh, your intro to Tantra class and, um, I was looking down and there's a couple massages. Do you want to talk a little bit about these massages? The Yoni massage. The Yoni massage and the Lingam massage. (laughs) So yeah, these are, um, uh, so, uh, yoni is the Sanskrit word for, um, I'd say, well, it's kind of, it's not just the vagina or the pussy or the vulva or the womb. Like it's, it's that whole space of creation in the, uh, female body. Lingam is the word for, um, you know, the, it, essentially it means the pillar of light. Um, so that's the word for, um, male genitalia in Sanskrit. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, I cool. didn't know that either. Oh yeah. Fun. Um, so yeah, Yoni is basically like the, uh, dark, it's like the dark center of creation. And then Lingam is, is the pillar of light. So you, so you have basically like this, yeah, you get it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and basically when they merge, it's, it's like, um, the idea is that because also fun fact, um, the lingam has all seven chakras in it. So the base is the root and the head is the crown. Um, and usually where men get circumcised is where the heart chakra is in the penis. So, um, so basically circumcision kind of severs the connection to the heart 
at a very young age. Um, wow. I we, that, that's like a whole separate podcast. Sorry. We'll, we'll, no, that's <laughs> really that. interesting. That I did a, not that, know that. That's interesting. So basically the people that have gotten circumcised are fucked now. <laughs> well, they just have a bit more work to do in, in really connecting. connecting right. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's like, know. that's like when the gallbladder is taken out and the liver takes over. So yeah. Vibe. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, so anyways, um, these two practices, uh, so I, I will be offering some classes. I haven't, uh, completed them yet, but they will be available as of January. Um, and they will be guided practices. So, um, with video, um, you know, visually and, you know, you'll, you'll have some oral instruction as well on, on how to do them with a the partner. Um, but essentially the massage practice, um, both a Yoni massage and a Lingam massage, um, is to not only, uh, slow things down, uh, create a little more intimacy, but also, for each partner, it, it has different benefits. So for people with yonis, um, or yeah, women, female identifying people, um, the benefit of a yoni massage is that it can actually help release a lot of stored trauma that could be in, um, especially the vagina, the vaginal canal. Um, because yeah, every time, um, every time a woman is entered when she's not ready or um, or she's not just fully activated yet, um, that does create a bit of scar tissue along the vaginal canals. So um, it's really important uh, to experience um, massage or especially a dearmoring practice because it, it helps restore uh, sensation and, and sort of, um, yeah, like if, if you have, uh, you know, a knot in your back when you're massaging it, you kind of help release it and help um, bring more, more blood flow to that space. So that's the benefit of the Yoni massage, the Lingam massage. Uh, one of the main benefits is especially for men or, or, um, people with penises. Um, one of the main benefits of the Lingam massage is to take away the pressure of always being erect and, you know, ready to go. Cause there's, I think for men, there's a lot of pressure to, to really, um, to be hard all the time. And, and there's like very rarely, um, do men get to experience pleasure from another person in their softness. And so the benefit of the lingam massage is, is really to explore that softness and, and, you know, um, feel, feel different, um, different touch and different pressure points and, and feel different ways that pleasure can be received without having that pressure to, to sort of be the, you know, the, the giver and, and really being able to like relax into that, that space of softness. Well, I'm definitely incorporating Yoni into my vocabulary. Hey, so. Lingam ling for me. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm <laughs> definitely referring to my vagina as a Yoni from now forward. Yeah. Um, yeah. Love that. Yeah. So fun fact on your site too. Um, it says that uh, most women need be between 20 and 45 minutes in order to become fully aroused. I did not know that. I knew that. You knew that? Yeah. Look at you. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> But, but I, it's not like a, a specific time. I don't like look at my watch after 30 minutes. Like, I'm like, all right, I'm all ready right. to go. I think, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think it's time. Yeah. But I like what, what you're saying though, is, uh, is, is for men also just from the, the male perspective that that seems like them having to tap into their divine feminine, right? 
to be yeah. more aware and, and, and more intimate with those parts of themselves. Now, this whole conversation is very, very different than how I would imagine like fundamental Christianity or Catholicism because they have a very negative sort of spin when it comes to masturbation and self-pleasure mm-hmm. and things like that, yeah. right? So what can you say to um, sort of change the narrative with that? I understand why it is that um, this makes sense, but uh, I guess I, what, what I want to know is that it is is is... I'd like to take the stigma out of having to venture on this path because there's a part of me that feels like it's very natural for the human being to, you know, interact with himself and, 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 and be intimate in that way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree. Um, I, you know, I was raised in a Catholic household and went to Catholic school and um, I'm very, very aware of the teachings um, of, you know, of, of, Christianity when it comes to, um, sex and sexuality. And I feel that, um, it actually at the end of the day does more harm than good because it creates a lot of shame Mm -hmm. and a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of stigma around, around pleasure and around enjoying one's own body. The thing is at the end of the day, if, if you cannot love your body, if you cannot touch your body, with reverence and, um, with, you know, the bewilderment of the magic that, that is this vessel, you know, if you can't touch yourself in that way, how is anyone else going to be able to meet you in that way? You know, you need to know what, what brings you pleasure. You need to know how your body works. Um, and I think the most important thing is, is just really being intentional with that. So you're not, you know, you're not cause yeah, masturbation, even it, it almost, um, evokes this idea of, of doing something sinful, right? Because mm-hmm. you're, you're it's, it's something that like has to be hidden, but, um, but really self-pleasure, it's like, you know, um, that, that's so much more empowering even as a word, um, or as a way of referring to it. Um, yeah. Uh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Like calling it self-pleasure <laughs> and opposed to that. I get what you're yeah. saying. It's just about understanding your body because you definitely need to know how it works before you even go about, I imagine like, you know, sharing intimacy with another person. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think and, like and, any religion, and, right. It, it, like the, those thought patterns are so archaic that, mm-hmm. you know, sex is only meant for procreation and that's it. Yeah. You know, like the, those thought patterns have changed. So it's, we don't live in a world where, where, where that's uh that people, everyone ascribes to that theory. No. There are a lot of people that do still ascribe to that though. Yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I guess the, but at the end of the day, um, the more we repress, uh, sex and, and sexual discovery, especially, especially in children, you know, when you, you see kids, you know, wanting to touch themselves, they want to touch their genitals and, you know, they're, they're curious about, you know, the opposite or other genders and other bodies. And, um, the way, at least I remember growing up, you know, being told that, oh, that's, that's bad. And, you know, we're not allowed to do that. We're not allowed to touch ourselves. Like this is, this is something that's like shameful. Um, and, and creating that, that, um, that dialogue of shame from such a young age, I think that that does result in other more or yeah, more unhealthy behaviors as one grows older, you know, even, even things like porn and and different kind of, um, you know, fetishes that, that maybe aren't, um, that aren't empowering or that don't feel, 
um, like the highest <laughs> version of sexual expression. I feel like a lot of that does come from this, this very young programming of, of sex being something shameful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah. And, and especially, and I think especially for women or, or, um, the, the feminine in a relationship, I, I am trying to be mindful and inclusive of in, in my language. Cause Tantra is something that, you know, it was developed such a long time ago. Um, it was still very binary, you know, male, masculine, female, feminine. And, and so, um, trying to, <laughs> you know, trying to be mindful of that, but, um, especially for, for the feminine or the, the receiving partner, um, it is really important to, to be aware of, of when, you know, when their body is ready and, um, to feel like you need to practice self-pleasure to know when your body is ready to receive another person. Um, because otherwise then, you know, you're, you're compounding trauma after trauma. And then it gets to a point where, you know, women will say, Oh, well, I, I don't have any libido or like, I'm, you know, I can't, you know, there's so many women that, that can't even orgasm. Mm-hmm. And it's because that they haven't been listening to their bodies for all these years. And, and a, a similar thing with men, you know, um, they are, especially with porn, you know, um, more and more young men are, are suffering from erectile dysfunction just as a result of watching way too much porn and, mm-hmm. and sort of numbing the sensations so much, numbing the, the arousal receptors in their brains that when they are with a real partner, um, they, you know, aren't able to, um, to be with that partner the way that they desire, the way that they've, you know, seen. And yeah, it's like a desensit, like they're desensitized because watching, watching porn is like the most extreme sex, right? So anything in comparison to that seems like almost boring. Yeah, yeah. the pendulum swinging too far in each direction. Right. So what comes up for me is, um, I read a book a little while back, um, Uh, by Osho, where he talks actually a lot about sex. And I I love his teachings. And he changes really the narrative of how we look at sexuality. Well, for example, he uh, even said that um, back, I think, in in India back then, they actually didn't even believe in missionary position. Interesting. That that happened as a result of, I think, in in, uh, the British or uh, the invasion of, like, the I guess the British that came in. But he was talking about, like, if, if in order for you know, that intercourse to sort of like uh, moderate in a more cohesive way, the women should always be on top. <laughs> Interesting. Because they need their, yeah. because he, according to him, they're wild. They need to be able to move and, mm. and, and, and freely like play, yeah. you know? <laughs> and uh, he also believed in, you know, foreplay, but also afterplay as well, which is this whole um, practice of, you know, once you've connected with your partner in an intimate way, that whole process, um, I guess, from a more practical approach is, you know, cuddling your partner and holding them close is just as important. Oh man, I hate that. You know, I'm like sweaty. That's, that's, I'm like, oh, get off uh, me. That's because you're, you're an Aquarius, Jen. <laughs> that's that's also, exactly wait, why. You, you also just said, get off me. So if you're hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that's, that's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I, 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 um, I have read a lot of Osho's work as well. And, and he does also advocate, um, you know, when you've had that uh, sexual union, not to immediately separate, you know, because it, yeah. it does take so much buildup to finally, you know, get to this point of, of, you know, physical union. Um, and then to, you know, basically to, just to, to come and, you know, separate bodies, it's, it's quite a, quite an aggressive, um, approach. And so he really does say like, you know, just, just let the body stay, like they'll naturally 
they'll naturally separate from each other yeah. and, and you know just allow it to happen slowly so it's, yeah. it's kind of like like a gentle come down from in the way that he explains it is almost like you're going through that imp- that entire process and that being more of the end result right because yeah. you're both very activated yeah. and that energy is really really flowing and, and when you're together and you're sort of like embracing each other's arms mm-hmm. there's just I, I've experienced that before and there's nothing like that feeling you know yeah. because you're just completely blown open you, there's nothing more vulnerable than that state you know what I mean Totally. <laughs> yeah. So I actually had a question for you because we're now we're, we're talking about like uh, embodying that sort of sexual energy inside. Um, one more question for you. Yeah. Um, so I know I noticed that a lot of on, on IG, especially social media specifically, there's this sort of movement of, you know, the divine feminine, um, you know, creating content where um, they're either dancing or they're, 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 you know, uh, utilizing that as a way to sort of express themselves sexually. What would be the difference between embodying your 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 divine feminine nature and validation or seeking validation? Oh, that's a good, that's a very good question. Um, for me, it comes down to intention, uh, and not only not only the intention. Um, or sort of the headspace that the person is in when they're recording something or when they're, you know, snapping that photo or taking that video, um, you know, were they present in that moment? Um, are, are they sharing a moment of, of authentic presence and authentic expression, or is it more of a moment like, you know, seeking some sort of external validation? So, and I, I feel like sometimes you can kind of sense this from from something that's shared. You know, you can kind of tell when when it's coming from this place of like, you know, I'm looking for something outside versus, hey, this is a moment that I'm really filled up and I, I would like to share it to inspire you. So, it, but it is tricky. It's definitely tricky. You know, there, there's, there's a fine line between, you know, wanting to um, encourage others, um, especially other sisters to, to express themselves. And sometimes it might seem inauthentic, but that's just because they're stepping out of their comfort zone. Um, and then there's also, you know, people that are, uh, are sharing things because they know that it'll, you know, get a lot of likes and follows and, um, but I feel like, I feel like even in digital platforms, even on social media, we can still kind of sense that we can sense when something is, is, um, when it feels like it's an authentic expression and when it feels oh, like it's for sure. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I wanted to just uh, one more parting question, which is what do you think is the, the best advice you can give for a successful relationship with your partner? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm going to tune inwards on that. Yeah, um, sure. I'd say awareness is definitely one of the key elements. And when I say awareness, I mean awareness of what you are bringing into the relationship, all the qualities, you know, whether you're bringing um, you know, fun and playfulness or whether you're bringing, you know, um, your abandonment wounds, um, and your triggers and traumas, um, just really 
being aware of what you're bringing in. Um, and also as a result of that awareness, being able to push through in those challenging times. So times that you might just want to slam a door or run away or, you know, raise your voice or seek something outside of yourself. Um, using your awareness to, to come back to your partner, um, and to come back to the present moment and, um, to really zoom out of what it is that you're actually, um, having an argument or a discord about, um, you know, Phoenix and I also, I mean, even though we look super happy on Instagram, we have our moments as well, um, where we are challenged and where we are confronted and where we are triggered. And, um, we really also have to bring that awareness of, you know, what, you know, what are the examples that our, our parents showed us in relationship? What did they subconsciously teach us about what it means to be in a relationship, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. Um, and so, so we've had to really bring, <laughs> bring all those, all that programming to our awareness so that, that we're able to um, move through whatever kind of challenging situation arises. Um, yeah, I'd say, I'd say awareness is one of the key things. And actually, um, another thing that's really helpful if, if you ever are in a situation where you're disagreeing with your partner or feeling really closed, um, maintaining physical touch, even just holding a hand or, you know, touching, touching their knees, just, just maintaining some kind of physical contact I'd say is, is one of the, the most helpful things, um, in order to, yeah, to yeah, move through any kind of challenging moments. There was a study about that. I'm going to have to look that up and and, and reference it about when you're having issues with your partner to um, a lot of the times it comes from um, lack of physical contact, yeah. like not, and I'm not talking about sexual contact, just like touching, touching their arm, you know, whenever they're talking or your hand on their leg or whatever. Yeah. High um, five. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not a high five. But <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah, there's, there's definitely like, it's been studied that, um, that people who have trouble in their relationships typically don't have, uh, they have limited physical touch. Mm. It's pretty interesting, but yeah. well, thank you so much for coming on. We really, really appreciated all of your knowledge and everything that you shared with us. Um, and for our listeners, if you're interested in coming, getting in contact with Sequoia, she can be found at sequoiasatori.com. And her IG handle is at Sequoia underscore Satori. So thank you so much. We thank really so appreciated having, having you. Me. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It was really a pleasure. And um, yeah, I'm, it, yeah, I'm really happy to be able to share all this knowledge and, and do my part in destigmatizing uh, sexuality. Yeah. Check out her free ebook too. She has a free ebook on her, on her website. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to have you back on at some point, too, to just talk about some other things. We wanted to pick your brain on a few things, but we'll catch back up with you. Yes, um, definitely. With time. pleasure. Okay. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank Sequoia. you. Take care. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.